Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our The Time Is Now series, which walks through the book of Nehemiah. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. If you've been with us in our study then you know that we're following the life of one man. He was the king's cupbearer in the palace of Shushan, the Medo-Persian empire at the time. And this man, Nehemiah, he was, a Hebrew, he was of Hebrew descent, but he had not lived in the land of his nativity. He had not lived in the land of his heritage in Israel all of his life. As a matter of fact, he grew up as a servant of the king, one of the highest servants of the king, the king's cupbearer. And, and he's there in Shushan or Susa, the Medo-Persian empire's capital for the winter and Nehemiah would be there and as he's there, he finds out that his brother, Hanani, would travel to Jerusalem, 850 miles uh, west of, of, uh, of Shushan, and Hanani would, uh, would begin to travel and he would come back. And when he got back, Nehemiah said, hey, what's going on? Hanani said, our people are suffering. They're, uh, they're in a great reproach and they're suffering affliction because the walls are broken down and the, the gates are burned and Nehemiah, things are in bad shape. And God places a burden on Nehemiah's heart. His burden was to go back, not to build walls, but his burden was to go back and to be a blessing to people. I wonder this morning, what would happen if every one of us today had a burden, instead of just to accomplish tasks, to bless people? I wonder what would happen if we did that. God, don't, God help me not to just go through life accomplishing things. Help me to be a blessing, a blessing to people. That was Nehemiah's burden. I want to build the wall, but I'm building the wall in order to help God's people. And he would travel back. The king sent him. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 8, Nehemiah says that the king granted me according to all that the good, uh, the good hand of my God was upon me, saying, hey, God did all of this. The king granted, but God was on it. And as Nehemiah went back, he got there, and God would use him in just a short period of time, 52 days, God would use them to build the city walls. All the people were joined on board. There was great opposition. You can go, we, we don't have time to go back and preach all seven chapters, uh, but you can go back and discover there's great opposition. The opposition from without the walls, opposition from within the walls, people who should have been on board that weren't, people who shouldn't have attacked that did. I mean, there's a lot that they faced, and yet they just really, uh, they just really put their heart to work. And that's what the Bible said in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 18. They had, they had a heart to work, and they just got in, and they said, we are all on board with this step of faith. They got that wall built. Last week, we were in Nehemiah 7. And we learned this concept. What's the point of walls if there are no watchmen? Nehemiah, he did some things last week. If you were here in Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse number 1, he established porters, doorkeepers, gate, gate, gatesmen, guardsmen at the doors saying, hey, don't open the gates until the sun is hot, until you can see there are no enemies. And don't just open the gates for anybody. Make sure it's the right person coming in at the right time. And then he would set up singers that would lead the people in worship. 24-7, there was over 245 people that had scheduled times to just sing in order to exalt the Lord. And then he set up the Levites, porters, singers, and Levites. Uh, you had these Levites that they would come and they would be the ones that would uh, preach the word and begin to teach people the word of God. And what we learned last week is a very good principle. What's the point of walls if there are no watchmen? The wall was their step of faith. And Nehemiah's like, hey, we took a step of faith. Don't let your guard down. Hey, you took a step of faith. Understand the work is not over. Hey, you took a step of faith. Understand there is more good things to come hey, you took a step of faith, remember the enemy is still going to attack. And what we applied it to last week is the fact that every one of us, we take steps of faith. Oh, your step, it's not to build a wall. I mean, it could be, I don't know. But your step is probably not to build a wall. Your step of faith is like maybe, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be a dad in the home and I'm gonna make sure I'm leading my family right. Your step of faith might be, you know what, I'm going to get in the word of God more. Your step of faith might be, you know, I'm going to begin to care about my testimony at work. Your, your step of faith might be in giving. Your step of faith might be in, in some area of growth. But when you take a step of faith, don't just have the mindset of, okay, well, I'm done. Because that's what we like to do sometimes. We kind of pat ourselves on the back. Right, oh man, I, I committed to read the Bible for a week. And look, I read it for a week. Pat, pat, pat. 
And then the next day, we just kind of let our guard down. You know what? You got to remember the devil's still going to attack. So what do we do? We got to be on guard. That's the message we preached last week. So now, now, Nehemiah chapter eight. Now we're at the place, and we're going to see it in just a minute. We're at an incredible place where the people of Israel, they have this wall done, the people of Jerusalem. And after the wall's accomplished and the the security and the singers and the speakers, the singers, the porters, and the Levites are all put in place. I find that the people of Jerusalem here in Nehemiah 8, they have what I call an aha moment. You ever had one of those? An aha moment. You say, well, what's that? It's that moment when things just kind of clicked. It's that moment, sorry, it's that moment when you finally got the joke. (laughs) It's that moment when you were maybe studying something for school and a principle that you just could not get down and then somebody explained it and you went, oh, oh, that's it. I was at a coffee shop and the person's in here, I won't call them out, but I was at a coffee shop with one of my kids a few weeks ago. And they were doing schoolwork. And I had, I had I'm, a, I'm, I'm not brilliant. I understand that. Lorinda, don't say amen this week. That just messed me up last Sunday. I'm telling you what. If you were here, I said, I'm not the brightest person. And last Sunday night, Lorinda was like, amen. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> I may not be the brightest person, but I, I'm not bad in math. And my son was working on math. And I was trying to explain math concepts to him. And he's, 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 we just were having a disconnect. I'm like, I've explained it. Why aren't you getting it? Like, just, just do this. And it make, in my brain, it was like, pff, made sense. But then a friend came in. Hey, how you doing, Dennis? Oh, I'm doing all right. Oh, what's he doing? He's doing homework. What are you working on? Working on math. Oh, you need any help? And then that person proceeded, and this person's in here, so I'm not going to call them out. They proceeded to explain math to my son. I've been explaining it for hours, like weeks. And that person left, and my son went, Dad, it all makes sense now. Dad, they were, Dad, they got it. Almost like, Dad, you're an idiot. I was like, it's the last time I'm letting friends help my kids with homework, man. You just... You can just fail from here on out, man. I'm supposed to be the smart one. No, you know what he had? You know what my son had? My son had an aha moment. Oh, oh, I got it. When we come to Nehemiah chapter number eight, I find the people of Jerusalem, it's an aha moment. It's, it's this. Oh, it was never about walls. Oh, it was never about security. Oh, we get it. I want you to notice the passage with me, if you will. Nehemiah chapter eight, beginning in verse number eight. And let's stand just for the reading of the word of God. We'll read it quick and be seated. Nehemiah chapter eight and verse number eight, it says this. So, So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, And gave sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the the Tirshatha, Tirshathite, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, they said unto all the people, This day is, is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For because all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he, Ezra, said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweets, and portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be sorry, for the joy of the Lord, that's your strength. So the Levites, they stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved, and all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth or big celebration because they had understood the words that were declared 
unto them. I love this portion of Scripture. We're going to look at uh, most of the chapter this morning. But in these verses, we find, and you'll see it with me, we find things beginning to just click for the people here in Jerusalem. We're going to discover what clicked for them and how it can help us today. And I think, I really do, I think if we tune in, if we dial in, um, many of you know I try to preach for just week, week-to-week stuff. By that, I mean, I don't, I don't come into a message thinking this is the message that's going to change, it's going to revolutionize everybody's life. My thought is what can, I, what can I give, what can the Lord give through me that will help you this week? But here's what I want to say. This message truly could change the future of your life. Not because of my words, but because of some principles in this passage that if every single one of us could get a grip on this, on what we find today, it would truly transform who you and I are. And I say it to me as well. And so I hope we'll dial in, hope we'll tune in this morning, put all distractions aside and let God speak to us, whether we're in person or online. I think it'll be a help to us today. So let's pray and get right into his word. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the truth. I wanna pray, God, that as we, uh, as we look at this passage, Lord, I know that I have nothing to offer and I know that this is your word today and these are your principles and so I pray that you'd speak through me. I pray, God, that you'd help every single person today. Uh, Lord, help every one of us to make decisions to have that aha moment. And Lord, I pray that as we go through the word of God that you would use it to challenge us, speak to us and work in our lives. Pray that, again, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Savior, that today would be the day they put their faith and trust in you. Love you, Lord. Surrender my mind and my heart, my mouth to you. Humble myself before you. I want to be used today, and so I pray that you do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go and be seated. As we come to Nehemiah chapter 8, the, the wall is finished. Now, I want to say this morning, when, when we think of uh, the wall that they were building... I know kind of as a Bible student and even as a kid growing up in church and, and even as a pastor, I would think about that wall, you know, just kind of being a, a, a medium-sized wall, just something mediocre that, that you know, village people could, could put together, not the band, but um, that people could put together, I want to say a band or something like that. Yeah, if you know, never mind, I'm just kidding. Uh, they, they, put that, they put that together and, um, sorry, I just made eye contact with my dad and it just went down the wrong trail. <laughs> I would think of something small, but I went to Israel a number of years ago, and of course, uh, 2018, 2019, we have a tour coming up this year. You can go with us. It's my commercial. Um, but I remember walking by an area and um, Pastor Kurt Skelly, my friend, saying, hey, let, let's go down this. Let's go down here. Okay, let, let's just, let's go. And so it was an evening, just him and I and a couple other people walking around, and he goes, I want, I want to show you Nehemiah's wall. I'll show you Nehemiah's wall. And I was like, Nehemiah's wall? It's still, he said, yeah. So they were doing some excavation a number of years ago, and they found remnants of Nehemiah's wall. I thought, man, I want to see that. So we went, and this is part of Nehemiah's wall. Now, when you look at it, you can see how wide it is. Now, the camera doesn't do very well, but the width of that would probably be about, about 12 to 18 yards and the height of it, there's another picture I have, the height of it, you see that measuring stick behind the wall on that building? The top of that measuring stick would have been the height of that wall. So it, it would be, um, I, I think it, at that, I think it's about 40 feet or something like that. And I might be off on the measurement. I should have looked that up. I'll, I'll look it up for next week. But when we talk about them accomplishing this wall, it was no small thing. I, I mean, listen. When they accomplished it, they had the right to be like, yes, like we are done. And you ever accomplish something and you get done and it's a big task and you're like, this is a big deal. And when they got done with this, though, Nehemiah came to him and he's like, hey, the work isn't over. And you, you, we're going to see a transition. Nehemiah chapters one through six are really about the wall. Chapters seven through 13, it's about the people. And their aha moment in Nehemiah chapter 8, what we're going to see this morning, they're going to realize that even though the wall is finished and the guard is set, the people, for the first time in a long time, they're experiencing safety. There's finally a, a breath of fresh air, so to speak. It's a time when things are not so chaotic. And it's in this time that the people are finally understanding it was never about walls. 
No, what they're understanding in Nehemiah chapter eight is it was always about their hearts and their fellowship of the Lord. They realized that it had been about them from the beginning. They realized that all of this had been happening so that they could once again fulfill God's plan and not their own. They realized who God was and they realized who they were. And that aha moment, we just read it a second ago, it brings a wide range of emotions. We read there that they're weeping. We'll read that they're worshiping God, rejoicing, praising God, feasting, mourning, and yet they're also celebrating in joy. We see things finally beginning to make sense for them. But my question for us this morning that we want to answer is how? How did it get to the point where things finally made sense? How did it get to the place where they finally understood that it was about them and not the wall? And then you and I, how do we get to that point? How do we get to the place where we see past the mundane things of life? How do we get to the point where we see past victories and see past struggles and see beyond the building of the wall and realize, oh, that's what it's about? How do we get to that place? I want to answer that question this morning by helping us understand four thoughts. Number one, things begin to make sense in your life and my life. Things begin to make sense when there is a desire for the word of God. Things begin to make sense when there's a desire for the word of God. Notice the verses with me, Nehemiah chapter eight, verses one and two. We read the end of the story. Let's go back to the beginning. Nehemiah chapter eight, verses one and two. It says this, and all the people... They gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they, uh, they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Here's what we read taking place. We read all of these people gathering as one with a desire for what? A desire to hear the word of God. This isn't just one or two people. It was a, the majority of those who could understand the words of God. They were saying, hey, it's time to get the word of God out. Hey, it's time to get the law out. That was their word of God, their scripture. This means there wasn't one person going around and saying, hey, it's time for the meeting. There wasn't one person saying, hey, it's time for the law. No, it says all the people came out with a desire for the word of God. All the people with harmony, all the people with unity, all the people working from the same sheet of music, all the people working with the same, what was their goal? We have a, we have a desire to hear the word of God. And I want us to understand Nehemiah chapter eight, it starts with them having a simple desire for the word of God unified in their desire. I got a question for you this morning. I wonder if there's a desire in your heart for the word of God. A desire for, not, not, not just for the Bible to be read, but a desire to know the God of the Bible. I wonder what would happen if we approached God with a desire that says, God, we just want to know you, want to know your word. The word desire here, it would simply lead to being a, a complete longing for. A desire, a, a thirsting for, something that, hey, this is only going to quench me. This is only going to quench my thirst. I wonder what would happen if we approached God with this type of a desire, the desire that says, God, we, we want your word. You see, things will begin to make sense when there's a desire for the word of God. If I asked you today if there's a desire in your heart to know God and to know his word, the fact is that only you can answer that. And you might say, well, duh, pastor. I mean, I'm here on a Sunday morning, aren't I? Can I tell you that desire goes deeper, desire goes deeper than the, than the display that we put on. And that's something you need to remember. Our desire goes deeper than just the display that we put on. Some of us, if we're not careful, we can come to church, we can carry our Bible, we can come in, have a smile, and we're all just going through duty. You know, you're just fulfilling the checklist. 
well, I better start Sunday off. If I don't, God might strike me down. And your viewership of God is, I better obey or else I'm in super trouble. Can I tell you, that's not how God works. As you know, this morning, the reason we should, des- listen, the reason we should desire his word is because his word speaks about him. It's all about God. It's God saying, hey, hey, I love you. Hey, I have purpose for you. Hey, I have identity for you. Hey, I've got joy. Hey, I've got peace. Hey, I've got mercy. And I speak all of it to you through the word. And I wonder, where's your desire this morning? I wonder, where's my desire? A desire to hear the word of God, a desire to know God through his word all all too often. We want so many things outside of God. And can I tell you this morning, don't just squeeze God and his word into your life. Desire it. Well, I guess I'll make time for church today. I mean, after all, it is Sunday. I guess I'll make time for my word. I guess I'll read the Bible. I mean, it's Tuesday, but I guess I'll do it. Don't just try to fit God in. No, desire him. Desire the word of God. Desire his presence. Why? Because things will begin to make sense when we desire the word of God. Things will begin to make sense when we give an attention to the word of God. Things begin to make sense, not only when we desire it, but when we give attention to it. Notice what takes place in verse three and four. He, Ezra, he read therein uh, before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and women and those, I think this is verse two, isn't it? For the men and women and those that could understand and hear, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they made, had made for that for the purpose. And beside him to, stood Mattathiah and Shema and Aniah and Urijah and Hilkiah and Maaseiah. And on his right hand and on his left hand, Padiah and Mishael and Malchiah and Hashem and Hashbadana, you like that one, and Zechariah and Meshulam. <coughs> Excuse me, all of these people standing there. Well, what were they doing? Well, they were having a service in the street. That's what you read in verse number three when it says that they're in the street by the water gate, not American history water gate. That wasn't a good thing. Uh, but they're in the street by the gate, the, the titled water gate. And what are they doing there? And they're just listening to and observing and paying attention to the word of God. They had the service in the street, shut down the streets. They all gathered together. Well, pastor, why'd they gather in the street? I mean, well, it's the only place that could fit them. The point about this is the fact that the location of the place is not nearly as important as what happens in the place. It wasn't, well, shouldn't they be in the temple? No, they didn't have a temple. It was, it was still destroyed. It was still being rebuilt. Well, couldn't they have gathered? No, this is the only place that could fit them. And what they do, it's not about the place. It's about what takes place within the place. I want to say this to our church family real quick. We need to always keep that in mind. Many of you, you know, we've been raising money. We just bought the property over there uh, off of Evelyn and, and um, Central. And we're looking forward to building. And we're, we're making, making our way in that. And we did our B1 of 500, 500 people committing $1,000 for the first 500,000 so that we can get phase one up and going. And many of you have already been involved in that. And I'm looking forward to a new location. I think others are looking forward to a new location. I'm looking forward to like actually having a parking lot. Like parking has been a problem here since day one because you can only fit like 12 cars out there. You know what? Parking's an issue. I'm looking forward to having a a larger auditorium. I'm looking forward to uh, having more classrooms. I'm looking forward to actually having like a fellowship hall. And I'm looking forward to a student life center with a a gym floor and basketball hoops where people can play and and we can open it up to the community. I'm looking forward uh, to having an awesome breezeway and a great little uh, coffee shop that you can hang out. I'm looking forward to all of those things. And you say, Pastor, that's a lot. Listen, we've got a lot that we're looking forward to. But that place is only a place. This place is only a place. It's not about the location. It's about what happens in the location. You know what these people did? They said, hey, we desire the word, but we will gather together with the purpose of paying attention to the word. Do you see what they did there? It says in in verse number three that they were all attentive to the word. 
It says, verse number three, and all the ears, or excuse me, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Well, who's all the people? Well, he described it in verse number two and three. All the men, all the women, and all of those that could understand, those who, all the kids, anybody who can understand. You know what, you know what this, lead, this leans me to uh, believe and be thankful for? I'm thankful for nursery workers. You say, why? Because there had to be somebody watching the other children here. There had to be somebody watching the kids that couldn't under, they didn't just leave them at home. I mean, they might have, and that's a good idea sometimes, isn't it? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, you know what? I'm, thank, I'm thankful there are people who serve in various areas of ministry, thankful for our nursery workers today, but here's what it says, that all the people gathered together, all those who could understand, and what did they do? They gave attention to the word of God. Desire is one thing, attention is another. Desire is one thing, attention is another is another. They assemble and they, their, attitude is the, their attitude is what makes the difference. Why? What, what was their attitude? Their attitude was we must give attention to his word. The phrase here, give attention to his word, it means literally that people were giving an ear to decipher a message. That's what the word attentive means. They were giving, that, that's rude, they were giving an ear, they were doing it to decipher a message. You ever been in a conversation and, and you're just really engrossed in that conversation and someone's talking and I mean, they're hanging on. Usually, usually most people, it's kind of like, and you're dialed in. Well, I'm tuning in. Well, I'm, I'm giving attention because I'm gonna decipher something. All of you husbands need to practice this more with your wives. I guarantee it'll help some things, you know. Uh, man, because here's what we like to do. You know, we're like that fellow before football season starts. You know, honey, the season's about to start. You got anything to say for the next four months? <laughs> you know, and, and the ladies laugh, but you can be like that too. Ladies can be like that too. The husband comes home from work and you've been around kids all day and you've been, you know, maybe you're maybe doing your job all day or whatever. And at night it's like, I don't want to talk to you. I, I want to get my mind in the book, Facebook. <laughs> I want to scroll and mindlessly look at just cats stupid videos. And I just want to, and we have, and, and we say, oh yeah, come, listen, I'm going to tell on me and my wife, you know, what we'll do sometimes. We'll be like, Hey, let's put the kids to bed and they're in bed and she'll get on her phone and I'll start playing golf on my phone. And we're like, Hey, let's hang out and let's talk. And one could be talking. The other one's going, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh man. Uh-huh. And you know what? Sometimes we can say, oh, I desire to be around you, but I don't want to give you the attention that you deserve from me. You know, we can do that with God, can't we? I mean, every one of us, listen, we'd be ignorant if we were here today and said like, oh yeah, uh, I really don't desire God in my life. Like how arrogant of a statement. I guarantee you just about everybody here this morning would probably have the mindset of, man, I desire God to be in my life. I desire God's presence. I desire God's wisdom. We would probably have that, but sometimes we have the mindset of, yeah, God, no, I desire you. Yeah, speak to me. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And we're not attentive to it. I tell you what these people were, they were attentive. In our culture, unfortunately, we're seeing a culture, and really a culture within Christians that are becoming more and more irreverent to the Word of God and more and more less attentive to the Word of God, or less and less attentive to the Word of God, I guess. You know, one reason is because sometimes we, we can lose a little bit of reverence for the Word of God, a little bit of attention, because we have so many copies of it. It's so easily accessible. You know, think about it. I mean, right now, you probably might have a Bible in your hand and maybe a Bible on your phone. You got one on this iPad and you got one on this iPad. You got one on your computer. You got four or five copies at home, a couple on the, you know, the bookshelves. There's a couple in drawers. There's, if you're Brian, you've got like 57 copies of the Bible in one drawer. He collects them. You know, and if we're not careful... If we're not careful, the, easily, the, the uh, ease of accessibility can cause us to give less attention. You know, if you're around something a lot, you can easily tune it out. Just ask a parent. If you have kids, I can't tell you how many times, how many times I've been around people 
who are tuning out their kids and how many times I've been the parent tuning out my kids. Think about it. Think about it. When's the last time that you like went somewhere and you saw a mom with a couple of kids and those kids are just, they're going crazy. I mean, you're like demons live inside of those children. They're losing it. They're pulling things off the counters. They're pulling things in the cart. They're screaming. They're yelling. And mom's just like, like no response. Some of you are like, that's me. Listen, all of all parents have been there. What are you doing? You're just tuning them out. Why? You're used to it. You're used to the noise. Right now in our home, many of you know, we have our three kids, Dennis, 15, Lena, 13. Uh, are you 13 or 14? <laughs> Turning 14 this year. I, my mind, I just thought, did I miss a birthday? But it's not until September. <laughs> uh, 15, 13, and 12, or 11, almost 12. And then we also have my uh, niece who's 11 and or just turned 12. Good night, missing all these ages. Uh, one is eight, and then Asher is two. And so we, I think I've talked about this, we went into a different phase of life when they came into our home. You know what phase of life I'm into right now? The ignoring phase of life. I'm like, there's times that I'm like, I don't know where they are, I don't care, I can hear them, but I just, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do anything. I wanna hear, I don't wanna, you, you can be here, and like Asher will be there like crying and looking at me, and he's like, he calls me, mm-mm, and they're like, mm-mm, mm-mm, ha-ha, ha-ha, mm-mm, gum-gum, ha-ha. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know what, dialed out. Hey, listen, if we're not careful, hey, if we're not careful, when we spend a lot of time around, thing, around people we love, we can easily tune them out. If we're not careful, we can treat God that way. And because we're in church every week, maybe you're a person who you come Sunday morning, Sunday night, we have service at six. It's a different message. Thursday night, we have our small groups, Bible studies and prayer, different lessons, different groups. And you might come to all three of those. And then we have youth activity or we have VBS or we have the men's thing or we have a women's thing. And you're just, your life is filled with it. If we're not careful, soon we begin to go, la, 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 la. We just, we just ignore it. Can I tell you, things won't make sense if you're ignoring the word of God. I see this morning, number one, things begin to make sense when there's a desire for the word. Number two, things begin to make sense when there's attention given to the word. Number three, things begin to make sense when there's a response to the word of God. Things begin to make sense when there is a response to the word of God. Notice verses five and six. Ezra, who's Ezra? He's the priest who a few years before had come back and began to minister to the people. And you can go read the book of Ezra. At one time, Ezra and Nehemiah were just kind of joined together and you can see them side by side in the word of God. That's who Ezra is. What did he do? He opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people. And when, he, and when it talks about above, it just means elevated, uh, not in, uh, in position, but just literally in He was on a platform. We'll see that in a second. He opened up the book and all the people stood up and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You know what happened is Ezra stood up. And when it says in there in verse number four that he stood upon a pulpit of wood, Nowadays, we look at this as the pulpit, and uh, we call it a pulpit. Really, it's just a podium. The pulpit is actually would have been the platform. That's what he stood upon, a pulpit of wood. It was an elevated platform so that he could stand up above these uh, thousands of people. He could stand above them and, and shout so that they could hear him. What did he do? He just stood up, and he began to read the Word of God. I want you to notice what was their response. I see very quickly four different responses from the people. You'll see all four of them. We'll just go through them one at a time. I see the response of reverence for the word of God. They revered it. How do we know that? When the word of God was being read, you know what they did? They all stood up. They all stood up. Now, pastor, does that mean I need to stand every time I read the Bible? No, even at our church, we stand sometimes and sometimes we don't. What were they doing, though? With them standing, they were just demonstrating a spirit of reverence. When the word of God was in their life, they revered it. They responded to it with reverence, respecting it. Can I tell you, man, you and I should have a respect for the word of God, a respect that says, man, I want God's word in my life more than anything. God, I want to honor your word. Reverence goes not only 
with that display, but with a heart action that says, God, I'm going to respond to your word. And their response was a response of, of reverence. And I want, to, <clears throat> I want to note something just, just so we can know. Uh, did you look in there and it said how long they did it? They did it for four to six hours. I'm just saying that because when we hit like 40 minutes, sometimes people are like, Pastor, speed this puppy up. They did it for four to six hours. So today we're going to do an experiment. I'm just kidding. <laughs> four to six hours. And I believe, we'll see this in just a second, that they actually uh, would stand for a while and read, and then they broke up into some small groups, and then they would come back together and read more and then break up into groups again. I think that's very much clear in the context. But they were standing for the reading of the Word of God, why they reverenced it. What else do we see? We see a, a response of reverence, but we also see a response of agreement, a response of agreement. Well, what's the response of agreement? What did they say? Amen, amen. That's what they did. Look at it, verse number, uh, verse number six, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. You know, amen means, the word amen just means, simply means so be it. It means I agree. It means that's truth. You know what they did? They didn't just let Ezra speak truth. They wanted to be involved. And so their response was, amen. Those of you that know uh, the Blims and remember the Blims, Daniel always says that it's written probably somewhere in the Hebrew right here that they didn't just say amen. They said, shake that bush. Yeah. <laughs> you know what it is? There, and, and we see this in our culture. There's some, pla- there's some places I go to preach and I've been before down in the South. Man, they get after it. I remember I was preaching at a church in Indiana. It's not the South, it's the East. I was preaching at a church in Indiana one time, and uh, I was preaching at this church, and there were people, I mean, they were getting after it as I was preaching. I had ladies finishing my sentences as I was preaching. I, I can close my eyes, remember it like it was yesterday. Miss Janet, someone sitting right about where you are. I came to this side of the pulpit, and I was like, you know what God does? God picks us up off of an old path, and God, and she was like, he sets us on a new, brother. He sets us on a new. And she, I was like, amen. You know, I, I amen her. You know what? Sometimes, and listen, I want us to catch this this morning. I'm using a funny illustration, but you know what amen is, and that's right is, and uh, shake that bush, whatever you say. It's just, hey, I agree. Hey, I agree. I don't want to be the only, I don't want, uh, at our church, I mean, I think about this, and we're going to apply these personally and corporately. I don't want to be the only one preaching on a Sunday. You say, well, then get other preachers. No, 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 no. While I'm preaching, you can preach. You say, how, pastor? Just say amen. Why? Man, I'm just, I agree. If you don't agree, don't say amen. When I say I'm an idiot, it's not the time to say amen. I'm looking at you, Lorraine. I'm just saying. No, I'm just kidding. You know what? This morning, man, they had a spirit of reverence and a spirit of agreement, that response of agreement. They had a response. Oh, don't miss it. They had a response of praise. We're going to get some application on all these in just a second. Response of praise. They said amen, amen, and then what they do? And they lifted up their hands. They lifted up their hands. Oh, that scares people. Hey, did you see them today? Man, they were like, hey. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Here, you, I'm going I'm to help us understand the significance and the symbolism of lifting up of hands. And, oh, don't, oh man, this is so good. I could preach a whole message on just this verse. <clears throat> Four thoughts. All right, Michael, I'm just kidding. <laughs> lifting up of hands represents a few things. Represents, I surrender. Right? I surrender. People that, you know, in war, military, they raise the right flag, and what do they do? They drop their weapons. Hey, you can see my hands. I'm not hiding anything. I surrender. But also lifting up, in hand, lifting up hands in Scripture, not only does it mean I surrender, I give up, but it also means I submit. I submit means I come under. Surrender means give up. Submit means come under. I surrender. I submit. Amen, amen, I agree. What were they doing? They were just saying, God, we praise you. The response of praise, but also the response of worship. What's it say they did? It says that they bowed their heads 
and they worshiped God. You know what worship means? It means to ascribe worth to. Hey, God, you are worthy. Hey, God, we recognize what Ezra just read and we bless your name. Hey, God, you know, listen, you know what they were getting? They were getting who God was and who they were. And it was finally making sense. What was making sense? It was never about the wall. It was never about the wall. It was about God being real and evident in their life. It was never about the wall. It was about them realizing the amazing God, gracious God, loving God, merciful God they served. It was never about the wall. It was about their relationship with God. Can I tell you this morning, things will begin to make sense in your life and mine when there's a response to the word of God. What should our response be? Hey, revere it. Hey, agree with it. When you're speaking in, I mean, this can apply personally and corporately. Corporately means this. When you're alone reading the word of God, there's nothing wrong with underlining and highlighting in your Bible and marking it up. Why? It's the word of God. I agree with it. Amen. When you're in a setting like this, agreement, there's nothing wrong with saying amen. amen. Now, I'm not going to distract. You know, there's, there's other churches. They'll get up and people will run around during the message and start hooping and hollering. I saw a video one time, a guy hooping and hollering, take his jacket off and jump in the baptistry, you know. And I, <laughs> man, if I went there, I'm not thinking these people agree. I'm thinking, man, these people are an LSD. <laughs> and they're doing some drugs here. I'm not thinking they agree. Why? It's distracting. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't coincide with the message. It distracts from it. So we need to always make sure our agreement is drawing attention to what's being said, and the word of God and that type of stuff. But I should be agreeing in the message. If I don't, find out why afterwards. Hey, pastor, I got a question. You said this. I'm never offended for you to come up and say, pastor, I disagree with that thought. Here's why. Show me from the Bible. I'll, well, I'll look in there too. We'll study it out together. But there should be a spirit of agreement. There should always be a response of praise. And not just during the preaching. Man, during the singing, there is nothing wrong. And you, I praise the Lord for our church. And don't you love the music at our church? Man, I love it. Why? There's so many reasons. So many reasons. But one of them is just because of the spirit of worship and praise that takes place. There's nothing wrong with somebody singing and raising their hand. And you may say, I'm not a person to raise my hand. Okay, don't. But if you are, man, make it. It's not something that's going to distract you know, I'm not there going. I'm not doing that. No, here's what I'm doing. I'm just worshiping the Lord. I'm not, do, I'm not doing it for anybody. I'm doing it to say, God, man, I recognize majesty, Lord of all. And before your throne, everyone will bow. They'll all fall. Hey, don't be afraid to respond with praise and Every time in every service, we should respond in worship. What's worship say? It just says, God, I ascribe to you the worth. You are worthy. I want to see this morning, lastly today, that things begin to make sense when we desire the word of God. We give attention to the word of God. We respond to the word of God. But lastly and quickly, things begin to make sense when there's an understanding of the word of God. I don't have time to do it. You can go through and read the verses. We read them to start with. Verse 8 down through verse number 12. Verse 7 actually starts it. The end of verse number seven, it says that those different names that we read just a moment ago, that those people helped give understanding to the word of God. Look at the end of verse number seven. It says that all, the Levites, they caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. And verse eight, it says this, and I will read verse eight. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and they gave sense and caused them to understand the reading. Here's what took place on this day. These people, they would all uh, stand up. And of course, Ezra would begin reading the word of God. And then they would break up into different groups with all of those names that we just read. And what did those people do? They, they gave a sense. Well, what, is, what does that mean, to give a sense? And I've got it here to give you the, the thought. The word to give a sense, it means to give insight in order to make sense or to make it clear. Do you know what they did? They just expounded upon what was just read. Nehemiah stood up and said, all right, we're going to read. Everybody, all right, so they desired Ezra, read, it, read the word, read the word, Ezra. And Ezra stood up and he said, we're going to read. They, they read, they're all there. And he goes, all right, now we're going to break up into our groups. 
Now, why? Because there's hundreds of people. So they break up, and then those other priests and Levites, they begin to say, hey, do you understand what he just said? Well, no, no, I got a question. What does this mean? And they begin to give it sense. They begin to help it become clear. That's one of the reasons that being in church is important. Oh, listen, it's not because Pastor Dennis is smarter than anybody else. And I'm not just trying to make a joke this morning. I'm being dead, dead serious with you. That the reason that I think we need to be at church is number one, for the growth in the word. Number two, for fellowship. Number three, for worship. There's so many other things. But one of the reasons is because when we come in, I hope that I've done my job in the week to study, to get the context, to look up meanings, to do all that stuff so that when I get up here, it's not like, um, well, uh, I would like to just say, um, I, uh, I don't want to do that. Now, are there some weeks where I stammer and stutter and weeks that don't make sense? Probably more than I would want to admit. You know what my goal should be? My goal should be verse number eight. Help the word of God make sense. Why? Because then we understand it. But you don't have to be at church to help the word of God make sense. You can look up things at home. Get a dictionary. Get a Bible app that defines words. And find those things. Why? Help the Bible make sense. Because then everything else begins to make sense. I want us to see this morning that when we open the word of God, we should want to know what it means to and for us. Some people look at God's word and they say, oh, you know, God's word, it was good for them. It was good for old days. No, no, no. God's word is good for now. God's word is good for your decisions now. God's word is good for how you uh, uh, do business now. God's word is good for child raising now. His word is good uh, for how your marriage works now. His word is good for your character building now. His word is good for leadership now. His word is good for your time management and life management now. His word is good for your finances. Listen, his word is good for all of it now. It doesn't apply to history. It applies to now. It applies to you now. And in 10 years, it'll still apply to you now and to me now. So what do I need to do? I need to ask God, God, help me understand this. We should want to understand it. We should allow the word of God to show us who he is and who we are. See, the fact of the matter is that we can often be very, very numb to who God is and to our position before him. And you want to know why things don't make sense in our life sometimes? It's because we're not in the Word of God. Things don't make sense because we leave God out of things. Things don't make sense because we ignore God. Things don't make sense because we don't give Him the attention He deserves. We can be so numb to our position before God and His holiness and His love for us. This is why James said it this way, draw nigh to God. Hey, get close to Him and He'll draw nigh to you. Hey, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and, and weep. What is he saying? Hey, you need to realize who you are before God, but then let, that, let, let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy to heaviness. Why? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and what will he do? He will lift you up. Did you notice in our passage in verse number 9, or excuse me, verse number 10, all the people, they were, they were doing all of these range of emotions, mourning and weeping and going through all this stuff because they were getting it. Hey, who we are before God, man, our people have not followed God. We have not established the worship of God. We have not been praising God. Man, we have been letting the wall deteriorate and we've been falling under affliction and it's our fault because we are not following God like we should be. And, and that brought mourning to their life because they saw who they were and they saw who God was. But notice what Ezra and the priest tell them at the end of verse number nine. Or 10, excuse me, verse 10. For this day is holy unto the Lord, neither be ye sorry. Why? Because the joy of the Lord, that's your strength. Amen. Hey, hey, people of Israel, you have gotten away from the Lord. Hey, people of Israel, you, you have strayed. You haven't given attention. You and all those things. But people of Israel, you need to remember 
It's all about him. His joy is your strength. The joy that you have in him is your strength. Hey, find joy in him and you'll find strength for everything. What a thought. That's the principle they're getting. I want us to understand this morning this very simple thought. And when I say it could change your life, it, it really could change your life. The thought is this. Life, it makes more sense when we center ourselves around the word of God. Everything's beginning to click for them. I say this statement often at our church, but it's this. The spirit of God will speak through the word of God to make the child of God like the son of God. It all works together to help me and you be more and more like Jesus. When his word is active in my life and I'm applying it, it helps me see things the way he would have me to see it. Those steps of faith, they make a little more sense. I begin to see life is not what I think about, but it's what he thinks about. I begin to see that life is not my view, it's about his view. I begin to see that life is not about religion, it's about relationship. I begin to see that life is not about pointing to me, it's about pointing people to him. I I begin to understand that it's not about a wall, it's about the people within the wall. It's about knowing that God has a desire and an incredible, or excuse me, it's about knowing that God has an incredible love and a plan for my life. He desires for me to daily daily grow in my relationship with him. God, listen, God gave you the word of God and he gave me the word of God so that we could know him. And my view changes when I'm allowing the word of God to be an active part of my life. Some of you in here, and and we've all been there, we struggle. And we all go through phases where we struggle and things just don't make sense. Tonight's message, what do you do when things begin to unravel, when things just seem like they're unraveling? And some of us, we just go through and we, we have challenges and heart, heartaches and hurts. And there's people in here that have gone through some deep trials and people in here that you're about to enter a trial and don't even know it yet. There's people in here who've lost loved ones, people in here who have faced decisions that have literally affected their life forever, people in here who have faced uh, health concerns, people in here who have faced financial ruin because of the economy or financial ruin because of bad choices, people in here, listen, there is a wide range of emotions represented and wide range of history in here. And when you and I try to start make sense of it, when we try to do it, it doesn't make sense. But when we get in his word, when we desire it, respond to it, agree with it, when we allow it to be at work in our life, things begin to make sense. Oh, it may not be completely clear, but it begins to make sense. Oh God, I recognize who I am and who you are. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.